Good morning, Christ Church. I uh, read a story this week that just fascinated me. Uh, here it is. In Central Park, New York City, there's a zoo, and there's an owl in a, a cage in that zoo where a vandal got into, into the zoo and, and snipped the cage open and may have done some other kind of vandalism, whatever, but, but this particular owl got out and uh, escaped. Now, this was an owl that had been born in captivity right in this cage in the zoo. So it has never known a space bigger than just a few branches, and they had painted like, you know, a valley on the wall of the little bit. Uh, and so this is, this is about a 10-year-old owl, and it's called a Eurasian eagle owl. It's one of the largest owls in the world. So this owl gets out and um, escapes, and somehow New Yorkers find out about this, and, um, and people are just following, tracking, fascinated with this owl. What's going to happen? This owl, 10 years old, born in captivity, never really spread its wing. It's got a six-foot wingspan, never really spread its wings and flown before, never hunted before, and so it jumps out, it gets up into a tree, and people are watching. It's like, even though it's 10 years old, it's like a fledgling. And it just nervously hops from branch to branch. And then over days, it gets a little bit stronger and a little bit bolder. And it begins to fly. And they see it get up to heights and trees that this owl has never known such heights. And, and some people begin to imagine, what? What is going on in the experience of this owl's mind, you know? Never before having experienced anything like this. Suddenly, they feel rain, this owl. Oh, by the way, the owl's name is Flaco. Don't ask me why. That means skinny in Spanish. Flaco the owl. So Flaco, Flaco is, is feeling rain upon himself, feeling the sun shine, feeling the heights of the trees, feeling what it's like to begin to fly. And then the question is, is this owl going to eat? Because this owl has been fed, according to the author of the article I read, um, whole foods quality rats and mice. <laughs> is this owl going to make it on a diet of New York rats? And what about those rats that eat the poison? All over the city of New York, is it going to eat up? So all these questions, people are tracking photographers and bird watchers are uh, taking pictures and tracking the story of this owl. Well, the owl does learn how to hunt. This is only in the past few weeks, and already uh, it's flying around uh, Central Park. It's, it's got a, a span of a couple of miles it can play in. It's hunting and is doing well so far. But what a story of... Going from uh, a cramped, literally caged space to freedom. What if Flacco didn't trust the freedom it had been given? You know, the, the gate, the, 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 the uh, mesh or the fencing has, is cut open and there's freedom available. But what if it didn't trust that freedom that had been given? What if it went back into the cramped quarters of captivity what if after this taste of freedom, the watching world, at least the bird-watching world, <laughs> um, watched and grieved to see it return to the life of a caged bird? 
That would seem tragic. And yet, that is what we do sometimes. That is what we as humans do. We're given new life. We're given freedom. But we don't trust that it is for freedom that we've been set free. Let's pray. Father, would you open our hearts? Would you open our eyes to your word? Open your word to our understanding that we might catch a glimpse of the freedom for which we've been set free and that we would move forward into that freedom, never looking back. Your name we pray. Amen. We have a series going on right now where we're talking about what it means to remember who we are. And that phrase, remember who we are, captures the fact that it's in our remembrance as humans that we find our identity. Do you, hear, you get that? In our remembrance, we find our identity. Think about someone who has amnesia. Literally, they don't know who they are. Memory is essential to identity. And as Christians, as we remember our story, we are being taught our identity. Remember who you are. So we, as we remember who we are, we become who God has made us to be. We know who we are by this kind of revisiting of the story, the true story of the mercy. Our story, our literal historical story, and the true story of the mercies of God as they come together and weave together. It's in that remembrance. So today, we're looking at what it means to uh, look at this passage and remember Lot's wife. Three words, that's it. Today's remembrance passage is three words. Remember Lot's wife. Now, the whole point of today's sermon is to look at what that means for us. What does it mean for us in our identity to remember Lot's wife? We've been given new life. We've been given freedom. What it means is now trust that and keep moving forward in it. We can't understand this text, though, and this passage that with these words of Jesus, remember Lot's wife, without understanding the larger passage that we just read in Luke 17. And we can't understand that passage in Luke 17 without going back and understanding the story of Lot and his wife and Sodom. So think of this kind of like we've got these three words, remember Lot's wife. That's in this context of Luke 17, and that's in the context of Genesis and the story of Lot's wife, kind of like those Russian dolls where there's like a little doll and then there's a doll off that and doll, you just open them up and you get down to like, okay, here's the core, here's the center. We're, get, we're gonna open up some of these dolls, so to speak, to get down to the thing at the center, which is remember Lot's wife. Jesus is identified throughout the scriptures as being worthy of our trust, which we see, for example, in the many descriptions and names and titles that he's given He's known as the Lamb of God. He's known as Wonderful Counselor. He's known as Redeemer, King, the Alpha and Omega. He's known as the Prince of Peace. He's also described as a just judge. And that is the trait that today's text fo focuses on in Luke 17. He is a just judge. Jesus is speaking about his coming. 
he will come as the just judge. But the focus is not actually in this text on how he will judge justly. The focus here is really on the timing question and what the timing will be like and therefore how we live our lives in light of the timing. That's what Luke 17 is about. The central point of our gospel reading today is how to live in light of the fact that the coming of Christ cannot be predicted. We cannot know it in advance. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is already in your midst. We just heard that in Luke 17, referring to himself. The kingdom of God is in your midst. I'm here. The kingdom of God is already in your midst. And then he says, and I will return in a time, in a way that can't be predicted. So then he gives some examples of how that's happened before. The examples of when the the justice of God came suddenly in the time of Noah. Or the justice of God came suddenly in the time of Abraham. And this is the story of Sodom. So now we're getting closer to Jesus' words about Lot's wife. God had shown great mercy to Lot. Let's go back to that story a bit. And his wife and their family. And he showed them that mercy by delivering them from Sodom. And Sodom was a place in which great evil and oppression were being perpetrated against the weak and the vulnerable. Not only was Sodom known for sexual assault, but even more so for their lack of concern for the poor and for the weak. We know this from the prophet Ezekiel who speaks out against some of Sodom's sister cities. So the prophet Ezekiel is saying this about some sister cities of Sodom. Here's what the prophet Ezekiel says. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. So we get a nutshell right there, the reputation of what was going on that God was judging in Sodom. They did not help the poor and the needy. And apparently the poor and the needy of Sodom cried out to God. This whole story about Sodom in Genesis chapter 19 actually starts in chapter 18. There was an outcry about Sodom. And that outcry touched the heart of God. Genesis 18 says this, Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Now this word outcry, when we see that in the Old Testament in the Hebrew, it's described, often it's describing the laments, the pleas of people who are suffering injustice. They cried out to the Lord. There was an outcry. And this is the language for prayers and laments of those suffering injustice. So scripture tells us that God is slow to anger. But this is one of the things that we see God get most angry about in the Bible. The neglect of the poor, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant. So here's the summary. Sodom is a city that is arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. Quite an an indictment. (laughs) They neglect the poor. They neglect the weak. And those who are suffering, they cry out to God. And God hears the cries of the poor and the weak. And he sends these angels to check it out. And these angels find hospitality in Lot's home. He invites them in. And he's he's entertaining angels, literally. 
But then some of the many men of the city come banging on the door wanting to sexually assault these angels. And the angels rescue Lot from this situation and his whole family. And they get them out of this oppressive city before God's justice comes and destroys it. Now the angels tell Lot and his wife, and their two daughters, there's four of them now, he tells them, I have a place for you in the hills of safety, of refuge. And he shows mercy to them, and he directs them to this, this place of freedom, a place of, of new life for them, of refuge and safety. Now, let's go back to Jesus and Luke 17 with that, with that story in mind. We've kind of opened one of those, one of those dolls. Now we're going kind of into the next doll, uh, Luke 17. Back there, Jesus the just judge and the merciful judge. He will come as unexpectedly as God came to Sodom or in Noah's day. These are all stories, again, of the suddenness of the presence of God and they're cautionary tales to say, live every day well. Make every moment holy. This is the context in which Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Lot's wife had been given a path to freedom by the mercies of God and told not to look back to the securities that she had left behind. The kingdom of God is in your midst, Jesus says, and will come to bring justice and mercy, and when he comes, it will be sudden. There's no way to know. There's no way to predict it. Nobody will know. Eric Varden who wrote, wrote a book called The Shattering of Loneliness on Christian Remembrance. And Matt put that up, I think, last week. And we're kind of taking the remembrance from the table of contents in that book. These, these are the remembrances that we're covering. And he writes in that book, he says, because it will be sudden, this coming of God that will be sudden. He says, hence the importance of standing always ready, of being cautious with attachments, of practicing the difficult discipline of not lingering. Those who wish to follow Christ must be ready to get up and go. They are not to think of taking luggage. And then as a climax, the warning resounds, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will preserve it. And it's that saying of Jesus that immediately follows the three words. Remember Lot's wife, whoever seeks his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. He's teaching on discipleship. And Jesus is teaching the disciples here saying, stay focused moment by moment as my disciples. Stay focused on the freedom for which you've been set free. Do not look back. Do not stand still. Do not turn back to the place of oppression and evil. Keep your eyes looking ahead and keep your feet moving forward to the place of freedom and new life. It is for freedom that you have been set free. Trust it. Trust me. Keep moving forward. So I want to look at a, a couple of, of now, what does that mean for us? How does that look for us in our life today? We've kind of like gotten down to the, to the corner, the, at the center of this. And, and why Jesus is saying, remember Lot's wife. And first of all, let's put it this way. 
It's a call to keep faithing forward. Keep faithing forward in our own lives. Let's focus on the word forward first, and then we'll look at the word faithing in that phrase a little bit. Forward, the call of discipleship, the call of following Jesus is a call to keep moving one step at a time. Think literally of the imagery of that fleeing to the hills where God has provided new life. It is, it is a physical journey. It's a walk. It's steps. It's one foot in front of the other, one step at a time, but to maintain a forward momentum. That's the call of this text. Eric Varden, again, he says this, conversion must be constructed in, get this, conversion must be constructed in aspirational terms, not reactive terms. So when we think about our turn to Christ, our conversion, our focus is on that to which we aspire, our energy, our attention, our focus is that, and our attention energy is not in reaction to what we're getting away from. I'll continue with this, his quote. In aspirational, not reactive terms, as an option for what is good, not against what is thought bad or dangerous. It's an ongoing task. The soul's compass needle must ever be realigned to true north. If not, we shall find ourselves at the mercy of trivial temptations, apparently drawn back into the morass of attractions and deceits that we thought we had left behind for good. The soul's compass must always be realigned to true north. Now think literally about a journey. Think about orienteering. Think about using a compass to find your way. We don't do that by saying, what is south? Okay, south is that way, therefore I need to orient myself in the opposite of it. That's a, it's kind of a convoluted way of thinking. We keep ourselves focused on true north. Now, by implication, south is behind us, but our focus is on our orientation and where we're headed. And if we don't keep ourselves realigned constantly to true north, our sights fixed on where God has called us, what he's saying is going to happen is we're going to be at the mercy of trivial temptations and drawn back to the, math, the morass of attractions and deceits. And why is that? Because there's this human dynamic that happens that basically wherever we put our attention, we are pouring energy. We pour energy and we give energy to Life, energy is the core of life. We give energy and life to the things that our attention is on. If our attention is simply and always on not that, not that, not that, not that, we're pouring energy and life into that. It has more power in our lives than if we didn't focus on it like that at all. And so what he's saying is our focus is on true north and our orientation is on the new life the freedom and the refuge that God has prepared for us as he calls us, like Lot's family, to head for the hills, hills of refuge, the hills where the dwelling of the Lord is, where his presence is there for us. So keep faithing forward is one of the lessons 
that Jesus is teaching his disciples, remember Lot's wife. Now, the fading part of that phrase, fading forward, every time you align your soul's compass needle in a direction and walk in it, you are fading. <laughs> that is a faithful life. You are living a life of faith. You are a person of faith by simply doing this and another step in a direction consistently, one after another, in the direction of the freedom for which you've been set free, in the direction of the new life. Every human being every day is aligning their soul's compass needle in a direction and walking in it. Now, let me, let me repeat that with, to clarify one point. Every human being is aligning their soul's compass needle in a direction. I didn't say every Christian. Every human being is aligning their soul's compass needle in a direction and they're walking in it. And those steps they're taking in the direction that they have aligned their soul's compass needle, they are fathing. And so there's a kind of false sense of that there's the life of faith that we live in as Christians, and then there's the life of not faith, but everybody puts their faith in something. Everybody's soul is oriented towards something. And they're walking, everyone walks in the direction that their soul's compass needle is orienting them to walk in. My true north is Jesus. Yours is too. I presume if you're here, or you are exploring this. You're considering that maybe Jesus is the true north by which you want to orient your life. And that's part of why you're here this morning. Everybody orients themselves in one direction or another. The early Christians called this life the way. Have you seen that? If you read through Acts, the book of Acts, it's called the way. And again, that's imagery that has to do with walking a path. It's an orientation image. It's a faithing image to follow Jesus. Again, this is walking imagery. This is movement imagery. It's forward movement, following Jesus in the way. That's faith. Now, let me give you another image. One uh, phrase there that, that, we, that we apply today for our lives from Remember Lot's Wife is keep fading forward. Another one is set your face like flint. Have you heard that phrase before? Perhaps it, it comes from Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet's talking about the suffering servant. These are chapters of the prophet Isaiah that apply to Jesus. Jesus is the suffering servant. In Isaiah 50, verse 7, it says, Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. Again, this has this imagery Think literally now about a face made of flint, and think of movement of the face as it goes forward. This is the prophet Isaiah describing Jesus who will persevere against all hardship, against all persecution. He will persevere. It's a call to perseverance. And anyone who has a flint face, what's going to happen when their flint face is struck? Well, what happens when you strike flint? It sharpens. That's how ancient blades were made, is that a, a piece of flint would be found, and, and then it would be 
it would be struck with another rock until it got sharper and sharper. And so flint, moving forward with our face set like flint, means that as we go forward through persecution, through hardship, in trial, as we keep fading forward towards the freedom for which we were set free, when we hit those trials, persecutions, and hardships, if we keep moving forward into it, we will be sharpened. And we have the example of Jesus himself who set his face like flint. The urge to turn back, it persists in all of us. And it doesn't end. There's not a sense at which we can say or a point at which we can say we've arrived. Sometimes the experience of some success might seduce us into thinking we have arrived. The battle is over. The victory is won. You know, it's going to be easy from now on. And that is a seduction. That there is this lifelong call of perseverance. As long as we are alive, we're never out of the fight of faith. We're never out of the call to keep faithing forward. That pull can be strong sometimes. The, the reach of temptations pull, the reach of the pull of the past can be strong sometimes. But as long as we're alive, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable to look back, to turn back, to stand still, basically to do anything but keep faithing forward. We're vulnerable. Some of the people who understand this the best are people who've worked the 12 steps in some kind of recovery process. There's a great humility required to walk the steps and to keep the steps. And I'm going to not go through all of them word for word, but I want to give you a glimpse of just the practical ways that anyone in recovery, and some of you are, anyone in recovery understands that this is an, a long, uh, nonstop Process. And once you accept that, then when there, there's a reduction of that kind of vulnerability to say, I've arrived. And I want to pause for a moment at step 10. But here we go. These are the, the fading forward steps walked by someone in recovery, which really apply to all of us. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol or food or drugs or Netflix, or any excessive kind of or unhealthy escape that comes to a place of, of, of excessive activity. Number two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves, God, could restore our sanity. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. That's surrender language. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. That's the examination uh, that we do before confession, self-examination and confession. Admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of the wrongs. And then we're entirely ready to have God remove all of these defects of character and then humbly ask him to remove those shortcomings and then making a list of anybody who's been heart hurt or harmed by those defects or shortcomings or behaviors and making amends with them. 
And then being willing to is a step. And then actually make the amends and do that work wherever possible. Now, at this point, we might think mission accomplished. That is an, a rigorous, difficult process that looks a lot like spiritual conversion, but it's actually also the principles of any kind of change in any arena of our lives. And we might think, mission accomplished, we're now in the city of refuge, safe and free in the new life. And in one sense, yes. But in another sense, there is no treading water. There's no resting on laurels. Persevering in forward movement is required. So step 10 says this, continue... Continue, this is lifelong, perpetual, as long as we're alive, continue to take the personal inventory and when we're wrong, promptly admit it. There's this renewal that never stops. This renewal side, there's no having arrived, there's only repeating the process (laughs) until the day we die. Humble, fading forward with each step. And then the Steps 11 and 12 are about a life of prayer and then applying those principles in every arena of life. Remember Lot's wife, Jesus says. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. Christ Church, it's for freedom that we've been set free. Let's lose our lives by giving our lives away. And let's live the charge given by the preacher in Hebrews 12. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, this is our prayer. And we thank you that you are our forerunner. You've run the race. And we are in you. And as long as we are in you and abide in you. As long as we are united to you. We finish the race with you. So keep us. Jesus, keep us near to your heart. Keep us in you. Keep us abiding in you. Keep us fading forward, keeping every moment holy. Your name we pray. Amen.